The first section, chapter 1 through chapter 8, verse 30, answers the question, who is he? It's obvious that the purpose of these chapters is to show that Jesus is not only the Christ, but he is the Lord, Yahweh. The Lord of nature, the Lord of sickness, the Lord of the demonic, the Lord of scripture, the Lord of life, the Lord of salvation. And it all culminates in Peter's great confession. You are the Christ. You are the one that was promised. I suspect that the disciples had been talking about this, wondering, is he really? Doesn't quite fit, and yet, and yet. And finally it takes a Peter to just blurt it out. You are the Christ. But then the focus shifts. And in chapters 831 through the end of the book, it's a different question. No longer who is he, but who were we? Now the focus is upon the disciples, and the picture is not a flattering one. Many years ago, I had the opportunity of leading a high school Bible study in the United Methodist Church here in town. For two years, about 25 teenagers and I worked our way through Mark. And I will never forget that evening when one of the boys just blurted out, these disciples were a bunch of knuckleheads. Well, I don't think that's quite Markan language, but that's the point. That's the point. Why? Why spend so much time over and over and over again through these chapters showing how inadequate, how fallible, how confused the disciples were? And I think I know the answer. It's now 45 or 50 A.D., and a group of men and some women are overturning the world. What a, what's going on here? Oh, you know, they were just born spiritual. Now, Peter, you know, when he was three years old, he was leading prayer meetings. And, and John, you know, he was just so saintly. No. No, Mark is saying, and if the tradition is correct that Mark is recalling Peter's memory, Peter is saying, no, no. We were not born unselfish and loving. So were they not converted? Well, if you've left all to follow Christ and confessed him with your mouth, that's a pretty good record, isn't it? Then what are they saying to us? They're saying to us that to be fully Christian is not merely to follow him or to give mental assent to his lordship. It is to experience the wondrous fruit of his resurrection, to allow him to be Lord through his abiding presence in us. So who were they? Christians? Yes, I think so. But Christians who had not made him Lord. So what were the manifestations of their problem? 
Well, it appears immediately after Peter's confession, doesn't it? They could not accept the cross. I like the way the New Living Translation has Jesus' words. You're seeing things from a merely human perspective, not God's. Yes, because the cross is about loss. The human way is to win at all costs. Who remembers those other 63 teams? It's North Carolina, unfortunately. <laughs> the famous former coach of the Green Bay Packers said it this way. Well, winning ain't everything, but losing ain't nothing. The cross, though, says to win is to lose. And to lose is to win. And the Peter in us says, no, no. The cross is about submission. To be human is to say, who's going to be greatest? I hope there are instant replays in heaven. I want to see that discussion on the road. John, you think you're going to be prime minister? Ha, no way. You couldn't prime minister your way out of a wet paper bag. You can be minister of sanitation if you want, but I will be prime minister. They could not accept the cross. For there is something proud and envious and jealous and suspicious in us. You remember the story of the magician's nephew, as C.S. Lewis wrote it? The boy and the girl come into this great kingdom that is empty, marvelous, crumbling buildings. And they wonder, what's happened? And finally, they come into a hall of statues. And as you first come in, the kings and the queens are kindly, benevolent. But as you go farther down the hall, the figures are more stern and lordly and commanding. And at the end, there is a great queen who even to look at her in stone is awesome. And in the center of the hall is a table with a little glass bell. And the boy walks up, and as he reaches for it, the girl being smarter says, don't ring it. <laughs> and the boy being dumber rings it. <laughs> and that queen stands up and says, well, it's taken you long enough. Jadis, the queen, welcome to my kingdom. Yes, it had come down to a battle between her and her sister. And when it was clear that the sister was going to win, Jadis used her secret weapon. She would destroy the kingdom, but she would own it. That's us. That's us. If I have to destroy the world to own it, then I will. But to win the world is to lose it. Most of you here will not know the name Howard Hughes. In many ways, to my mind, he encapsulates the 20th century. 
the son of a very, very wealthy man. He was a playboy, dated all the starlets of Hollywood. At one time, he owned the cross-country speed record for planes. He test flew all kinds of planes. During the Second World War, he built what was then the largest plane in the world and remained so for about 40 years. A multi-billionaire who in the end lived alone, refused to cut his fingernails or his hair. In one room of his apartment in the sands at Las Vegas, were jars of his urine, which he could not bear to part with. And when he was asked, why did you become a recluse? He said, well, it just was obvious that other people were getting in my way and I could do more work by myself. To win the world is to lose it. Marilyn Monroe won the world and she lost it. Prince won the world, and he lost it. And so Jesus turned to a child, a child. Now, before we had children, I thought it was because children are innocent. <laughs> then we had some. <laughs> what is it about children? What it is about children is... They have no concern for image, no concern for position, no concern for power. How easily they trust. No, the disciples could not accept the cross. And then they had no horror of sin. You remember it? We didn't take the time to read it. Jesus, Jesus, do you know what? We heard somebody who was not in our denomination casting out devils in your name. Well, we put a stop to that. And Jesus said, better that you had a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones, and I don't think he's talking about children, to sin. No horror of sin. You see, if you don't understand the cost of redemption, it's hard to understand what sin really is. They, they didn't care how they misled others in their scrabble for power and position. They did not understand. Sin is not a matter of a little mistake. Sin, any sin, is a matter of life and death. Now, it's a matter of scholarly discussion, but I'm right. Um, <clears throat> Why was Cain's sacrifice not acceptable? Because a squash cannot die for your sins. And the lamb Sin is not a matter of a little mistake. Sin is a matter of life and death. Sin says, I will be God. And God 
if you cross me, I'll kill you. That's sin. To stand at the foot of the cross with Peter, I think he was there in the shadows, and to say, I put him there. A horror, a horror of anything that might drive him out of his true home. As the songwriter said it, I hate the sin that drove you from your throne. They could not accept the cross. They had no horror of sin. And they had no consistent spiritual life. Zach mentioned it in his prayer. Peter, there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And don't you just love the scripture? He just blurted it out because he didn't know what else to say. It's really good for us to be here. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. We enshrine the great spiritual experiences. Let's build three shrines right here. One for each of you three. Isn't that wonderful? And you sort of see Jesus saying, ay, 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 ay. This was a high point in my life. But they had no ongoing spiritual life. They come down the mountain, and here are the disciples, those disciples who had been so proud of their spiritual power a few months earlier, unable to cast out this demon. And Jesus says, how long am I going to be with you? I've only got a few more months, you guys. Get out of him. And the disciples say, Jesus, why couldn't we cast him out? Now, the oldest text says that Jesus answered and said, this kind only comes out by prayer. Do you think those guys didn't pray? They may not have prayed the first time they tried to cast out the demon, but I guarantee you they prayed the second time they tried. Later editions of the text say, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. And fasting may not be original, but I think the copyist, the translator, the revisionist is trying to say, we're not talking about one-time prayer here. We're talking about a life of prayer as indicated in fasting. They had no consistent spiritual life. It simply consisted of a high point here and a high point there. No ongoing life. They were thermometers. When the temperature was high, they were high. But when the temperature was cold, they were cold. What Jesus is longing for is thermostats who change the temperature of the environment to meet their temperature. 
They could not accept the cross. They had no horror of sin. They had no consistent spiritual life. So what made the difference? How can this Peter, who was so frightened of a little serving girl in the dark that he swore in the name of God he did not know this man, how could that Peter at 9.30 on the first day of the week stand before a crowd and say, you crucified him. What happened? Pentecost happened. Pentecost happened. The fruit of the resurrection had come to its full bloom. Oh, yes, we must, we must celebrate Easter. But how can it be that we relegate Pentecost to a few mumbling words the first Sunday of June? Crucifixion, resurrection, Pentecost. Three, huh, how interesting. Pentecost is the climax of Christ's work. The cross has cleansed the temple of our hearts. The resurrection had, has filled our hearts with life and not death. And now the spirit comes to make that life the very life of Christ. Not only Lord of us, but Lord in us. To abdicate the throne for him. I dare to say that if you graduate from Asbury Theological Seminary and have never come to the deadly crisis of your will, you are walking into danger. Because it is a crisis of the will. This is what it is that prevents us from knowing his lordship in us. Oftentimes, it's a crisis of obedience. God says, do this. And we say, why? Because I'm your Lord. Oh, Life direction, perhaps. There? A thing surrendered. This past week, I was with a pastor. And he said, you know what it was for me? I said, no. He said, three horses. And God said, may I have them, please? And until I finally said yes, he was not my Lord. Life direction, a thing surrendered, a task accepted. Do that. Do that. A wrong made right. Remember? One of the great evangelists who had been a racketeer, spent nearly a year going to everybody he could find whom he had gypped. 
and paying them back as best he could. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. All of this makes possible Wesley's covenant service. Put me to doing, lay me aside. Make me victorious, let me be defeated. I'm your man, I'm your woman, you are my Lord. One of our former students was in a PhD program and he had spent two years working on a very, very complicated problem when his advisor was denied tenure and was forced to leave. He went through the department trying to find another supervisor who would take him on for that project. None would. But one said, yes, I'll take you on, but with a different project. And so this young man laid two years of his life on the shelf and started over again. One evening, his supervisor, who was Jewish, was giving him a ride home. And as Bill, and this is not his name, put his hand on the door handle, his supervisor said, Bill, I've been watching you. If I were you, I would be a very, very angry man. I'd be angry at the university for not tenuring my first supervisor. I'd be angry at everybody in the faculty for not taking me on on the project I wanted to work on. I'd be angry at me, the supervisor. He said, you had to do a different project. You're not angry. Does that have anything to do with your Christian faith? And for two hours, Bill told him what the Lordship of Christ means in a human life. Who is he? The Lord. Who were we? Ourselves. Who are we? 